Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. This episode is brought to you by Hudson Supplies. Hudson Supplies is a manufacturer and distributor of PPE for first responders, currently offering face masks for minimum protection and a disinfectant suited to COVID-19. We will win the fight against COVID-19. Visit www.hudsontactical.com for more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blue Line, the podcast. I'm Renee Francar, the editor of Blue Line magazine. Thanks for listening in. On April 16th, we tried something new. We hosted our very first virtual roundtable, where we invited five police leaders from across Canada to join us for a joint discussion via video. We thought it was a good time to check in with various agencies in various locations as we continue to manage and strive to slow the outbreak of COVID-19. Specifically, after watching social media the last month or so, we wanted to discuss PPE, personal protective equipment. And so we touch on concerns, challenges, success stories, and more about PPE for law enforcement during the pandemic. Now we're sharing that engaging and enlightening conversation caught on video with our podcast subscribers. Special thank you to Saskatoon Police Inspector Patrick Nagier, York Regional Police Staff Sergeant Christopher Plant, RCMP Assistant Commissioner of Contract and Indigenous Policing Dennis Daly, Delta Police Superintendent Harj Sadu, and last but not least, Inspector Trevor Hermanitz with the Edmonton Police Services Pandemic Response Command for making the time to have this valuable call with Blue Line. We hope you enjoy the updates, the dialogue, and feel a little more connected to our larger Blue family. And now, without further ado, we present the podcast version of Blue Line's first virtual roundtable. Thank you to everyone for making the time to join me on today's call and welcome. Welcome. Good to have us. Thank you. First off, let's let's go around the room, if you will. I, I want to know how everyone's doing. How is the atmosphere at your service or division? Um, so if you're able, you can also share uh, how your officers um, are doing in terms of if anybody's infected or in quarantine. So let's start off with our CMP Assistant Commissioner first. Well, thank you uh, very much. And again, thank you for the invitation to uh, to join there today. Um, I would describe the RCMP, I think, uh, remarkably well uh, as far as morale and uh, preparation and posture. Um, I, f I find it's because Canadian police do this very well. We plan very well and we execute very well. So um, going into a pandemic and providing service to Canadians is what we do. And uh, we do that very well. As far as the RCMP health concern, uh, currently we have seven employees who have tested uh, positive for COVID. We've had uh, good luck in returning 10 uh, who have recovered. So for an organization of over 30,000 people, uh, I think we're doing fairly well. Um, as far as morale goes, we checked in yesterday with all our divisions and um, it's interesting because, you know, you, you combine that calls for service are generally down fairly significantly. Uh, courts are closed. We've imposed a leave restriction. So there's plenty of people at work. Uh, so I think that leads to, to good morale and uh, allows us to do our job. So I think we're doing remarkably well. 
Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, Assistant Commissioner. Uh, what about in Saskatoon, Inspector Nogier? We've been good. I'd, I'd have to echo some of Dennis's comments where we've seen a lot of, of actually a boost in morale here as a result of having a lot of frontline officers that have been redeployed. So whenever you have officers that have backup and adequate backup and you have resources that are available to attend calls, and then you combine that with reducing the types of calls that we're going to, I think you just have a real good boost in morale that's leading to a very healthy and productive work environment. So we've been very happy. We got ahead of the curve. We started our tactical operations center in about uh, early part of March, mid part of March, March 16th to be official. And once we got that up and running, uh, we set it up, we started running it much like a SMEAC mission where we were trying to identify exactly what the priorities are going to be moving forward. And once we got ahead of it and once we could get things on the board in a visual state and then start making some notes and start tabulating the things that we knew we had to work on as far as tasks were concerned, we got very comfortable within a two-week period. So it was that initial push and front-loading that I think got us into a good position. Initially, we had up to 74 officers that were in self-isolation, and the majority of those were as a result of travel. So they were coming back from various destinations during the holiday season, and that put a lot of people into those self-isolation spots. But we've got that down to three and two are currently self-monitoring. And luckily we have not no positive COVID situations within the police service other than the spouse of one of the employees. None of our affected members per se have been involved. So we feel pretty good right now where we're at. That's great news, wonderful to hear. Okay. And uh, how about in York Region, Staff Sergeant Plant? Thank you, Renee, thanks for having me. Uh, hi everyone. I think we're in pretty good shape as far as York Region goes and the York Regional Police, uh, much like Saskatoon, we've been at this since the 16th of March. So this is day 32 for us working out of an operational centre. Uh, we only have three members who have tested positive and we're happy to report that it was not contracted uh, in the course of police duties. Uh, right now we've established a healthy reserve strategy where we've actually sent home a great many of our officers uh, who are just kind of waiting in reserve should something happen where we have to either quarantine entire platoons or send uh, numerous members home. These reserve folks uh, who are presumably home and healthy uh, can just come in and fill their, their place. And uh, we're happy to report that we have nobody left in isolation due to travel. Fantastic news and, and some good planning there then for, for some backup. All right, well, let's head on over to Edmonton. Uh, Inspector Hermanitz, tell us a little bit about uh, what's happening there. Well, thanks for having us from uh, Edmonton. We really appreciate it. They, similar to what everyone's, I'll just kind of echo the comments from everybody too. Um, we jumped on this fairly early. We've been at it over four weeks now as well. And we kind of established in our incident command system kind of a pandemic response command that we have, we're all kind of working out on the side of our desk as regular day jobs and we meet daily and we have a pretty large team that involves all areas from OH&S to planning to operations to logistics. So we tried to jump on it fairly quick, but I, I will report that we've had seven of our employees with uh, COVID positive, one sworn member and six civilian members and those civilian members in one area. And we kind of attributed, we have attributed to one incident. So that was approximately about shoot two weeks ago and since that time we took some pretty robust measures in that area to send groups of people home um, so we could make sure isolate the spread and I'm happy to report we haven't had any other positives in two weeks since that uh, happened so I'm hopeful that we've uh, kind of uh, taken care of it in that area 
but we're taking similar me uh, measures to what other areas or what agencies are doing. We have a pretty robust work from home system. Our IT people have done some great work of uh, getting a trying a bunch of new different ways of doing business around here. And we got a, a large part of our, not necessarily our SWARM membership, but especially our civilian membership working from home or where we can send people home and work at staggered shifts or what it be, but we're sending people home to work from home. So we're trying to do our parts to uh, flatten the curve, as you as you say, but, um, and I think pretty good morale so far. Uh, lots of questions, of course. The first few weeks or last month have been a blur, I'll be very frank with you, from uh, all of us, because we were working hard to try and jump on all the questions and we're messaging every day to our membership from a variety of different questions they have. We have areas that they can respond and ask questions and we try and respond to those questions as best we can. And for the most part, you know, this week has been, touch wood has been really good. Um, not a lot of questions, thank goodness. I think maybe we've answered most of them and the people are starting to feel better about things. So it's, it's uh, I think we're coming along pretty well. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, it's it's uh, it seems to be a week where things are a little bit more. We're settling into a new kind of norm. I'm feeling it myself even here, even though my new headset didn't come in for this virtual call. But uh, we're making the best of the work from home. So glad to hear it's the same in uh, Edmonton and with the Edmonton Police Service. All right. Well, last but not least, let's head on over to, to Delta. Superintendent, tell me uh, what's the situation with Delta Police? I might repeat myself, the audio cut out there. I didn't hear anyone till Edmonton. So but things are going well, as you can appreciate. Initially, when this pandemic started, it impacted everyone personally and professionally. And it was overwhelming and there was a lot of anxiety and uncertainty by our members. Uh, just like other jurisdictions, we had provincial and local emergencies. Ours was just extended now to the end of April. Uh, we've had a pandemic plan in place for 10 years, but just like any plan, uh, it doesn't uh, a lot of times survive first contact and then this is the first time we've implemented it so we've had to adapt it and kind of our three areas we focus on is our people planning and safety and our operations so it's been unique in the sense for me it's a paradigm shift usually when we have a critical incident or a natural disaster we're looking at ways how can we bring additional resources uh, into the organization to be able to address the issue we're dealing with this is almost a flip of that. How do we limit exposure of our officers and uh, that are coming and limit the spread of the virus? So, and then making sure that we're keeping them healthy, but still maintaining public safety. So trying to find that balance. And I heard some of the stuff there at the end. So we set up a working group following an ICS. Uh, actually, no, it was more a gold, silver, bronze mo uh, model that we implemented to make sure we had appropriate command and control on this. And Work through a lot of stuff around phase mobilization plans, triaging calls, creating safety plans, uh, some of the PP uh, protocols we're going to discuss today, uh, looking at ways to test our officers if they were exposed, and then a lot of the supporting mechanisms around that anxiety of schools being closed. What am I going to do for childcare? What am I going to do to take care of my elderly parents? So those type of things, and and the flow of information it was changing hourly. So I heard about communication. How do we create the appropriate communication uh, pathway so our employees and their families are up to date on what's occurring because what does exposure mean? How long does someone have to be away? Uh, all those type of things were constantly coming. So probably those first two, three weeks of building our systems and our processes was uh, quite labor intensive. But I think what I'm hearing is it's kind of stabilized for us now. And uh, after the initial surge, and we're entering a bit of a maintenance and ongoing monitoring phase. Uh, we're fortunate in BC, our curve is starting to flatten already. Our numbers are stabilizing. 
Uh, that's what we're hearing from our health officials. But again, we're taking our lead from them. We have to continue to may, re, remain vigilant. Uh, we're cautiously optimistic, but we can't let our guard down. As we tend to do as uh, police leaders and agencies, it's all about how do we get back to normal business and productivity and uh, making sure our employees are out, are out there being effective and efficient. So we have to kind of guard ourselves against that, listen to the experts and align to them in regards to when do we start opening things back up again. So um, in regards to our officers being infected and stuff like that, initially when it kind of broke in BC, a lot of our people had left, some had left for spring break, some had just returned. So we had a lot of people in isolation because they didn't know uh, if they were symptomatic or not. So we had about 40 officers. Uh, we actually were able to quickly work with our health authorities and build a, a testing regime. And we had 22 of our officers tested. Unfortunately, everyone's come back negative. Currently, we have three officers off on some symptomatic, uh, uh, on some symptoms, but uh, overall our workforce is happy and uh, healthy at this point, I can report. Wonderful news. That's great to hear as well. And uh, I liked how you said we have to remain uh, vigilant in, in all of these precautions. So uh, moving on with uh, that in mind, you know, everyone uh, seems to have the gloves and the masks I've been seeing uh, out there. But um, I know we're looking at face shields now as well for officers in some areas. Uh, London Police here in southwestern Ontario, near where I grew up actually, has uh, issued some isolation coveralls to uh, some officers who are dealing with the public on a regular basis. Um, so my next question is, what are you doing specifically for PPE for your officers on the front lines? Um, and maybe as a follow-up, if you're open to it, uh, I'm just curious if you're if you're satisfied with this as police leaders. Uh, so let's switch the routine around. We'll maybe start with who went last first. Uh, so I'll throw it right back to you, uh, Superintendent <laughs> from Delta. Uh, yeah, no, uh, we're, our PP is in line with our local police agencies and we're following the guidelines of our local health authorities. Uh, we've, uh, again, a lot of the messaging operational directives on how to use the personal protection equipment. For We provided guidance to our officers um, when they're dealing with someone that may be confirmed COVID or suspected or even presenting flu-like symptoms. Uh, the PPE that we issued to all of our officers is N95 respirators have been issued, which have all been fit, fit tested. Uh, as you mentioned, glasses, the nitrile gloves, we recommend long sleeve uh, jackets and or uniform shirts for our officers where possible. Uh, we've got uh, surgical masks that we've also issued to our officers, and that's more around when they're not able to social distance and uh, the other person is not symptomatic. So a lot of that is internally like our two-person vehicles, our recruit training and our surveillance. We've had to institute some protocols so that our members feel uh, safe when they're riding with someone in the car. Uh, we've in in issued individual isogel hand sanitizer to all of our officers, and then we've implemented a lot of processes of ensuring effective uh, cleaning both within all of our buildings as well as uh, within our vehicles. Fantastic. What about over in Edmonton, Inspector? I'm just going to say ditto. It sounds like we're, we're doing very similar to what uh, Delta is doing, but uh, we follow our guidelines, Alberta Health Services as well. A lot of our initial stuff was about messaging to our members and coaching and educating on hygiene and physical distancing and you know cleanliness and all those different things that we have to practice every day and similar to what Delta is doing, our members are issued N95 masks, they're issued surgical masks. Certain areas, um, well, for frontline people, we make sure that we recommend obviously glasses and gloves 
long sleeve shirt similar to what Delta is doing as well. We've got pretty robust uh, cleaning that we're doing in all our frontline patrol vehicles. And in a lot of other areas where our members of commonality of working, um, typing rooms, bathrooms, uh, you know, communications, that kind of stuff, we do pretty robust cleaning and disinfecting those areas on a regular basis. So I know our uh, facility staff has really stepped up over the last month. Um, very similar, like I said, to Delta in, in the sense that a lot of the, the recommendations that we follow are provincial recommendations. We message that out quite regularly to our membership with direction of how to deal with people, like uh, even frontline people, how to do, if they have any concerns and what equipment and PPE to wear when they're doing that. Um, decontamination uh, methods that we have in place. Just pretty well everything, like I said, as much as that we can to keep our members safe, we're doing. And a lot of it too is it's just educating and answering the questions where we need to and communicating what we need to to them. And but I think the communication is key for us, so they have there's an understanding of what to do and how to do it there, or and that takes away the angst of the members and the anxiety from the membership. So that communication is key for us. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, very well said. Uh, anything to add over from uh, York Region, Staff Sergeant? Uh, nothing too major above and beyond that. Same sort of scenario. We attempted to begin sourcing masks back in January and very quickly found out that the medical profession needed them more than police services did. So we kind of accepted that uh, and did our own manner of sourcing as best we could. Uh, probably the only kind of different item we might be utilizing, we acquired some sanitization kind of cabinets or closets. So if any frontline member did experience a, a direct contact with someone who is COVID positive, we can put things like radios and use of force equipment inside this. It's a non-liquid solution. Uh, and so they claim it will deal with any form of an influenza virus. Uh, so we have that kind of uh, as a new rollout strategy for the front line, as well as glasses, gloves, we're in good shape there. Fantastic. Okay, good to hear. Uh, moving on over to Saskatoon. Uh, all the same stuff that uh, you're utilizing as well there? They have been, but it's been a contentious issue here on the battle for N95 versus surgical masks and which situations do you use which ones. I mean, the N95 seems to be a pretty precious commodity in Saskatchewan. And as we attempt to work within the ICS system and we're working through a city EMO, we're putting in orders Originally, that's all we had on stock. It's, it was strictly N95 masks, and they weren't—they were not fit tested, and nor some of the advice we're trying—we're attempting to follow the science on this. And what we've been told from our, our medical health practitioners is that, you know, the N95, a fit tested N95, is only required in certain certain types of environments. Um, more specifically, the AGMPs, the aerosol generating medical procedures. So, you know, we're really caught in a bit of a quandary because we've got roughly 480 officers none of which have been fit tested on this properly. We also have additional officers that are running around from TSU, our, our tactical support unit, our public support unit who have gas masks. And some of those have been redeployed into the operational component of frontline policing. So we find we have a little bit of a mix there where people are, are going to the nth degree to make sure that they maintain that, that security and their health is forefront. And we're allowing them to explore those options. But it's wrestling with, you know, what's the delicate balance here? And it comes back to, I think everybody's touched on it, is the information flow. Is what information do officers have to ensure you alleviate the apprehension when they're going to a call? What's required for PPE and in which circumstances? So our decontamination protocols, we identified quite early that they had to be a lot more robust than what they were. And we developed a, a three-tiered system 
a medium high and low risk associated to that with a flow chart that's been provided to all officers and in each vehicle, which demonstrates you know, what amount of PPE is required for that purpose and then what are the subsequent decontamination protocols that follow. So it's that whole information piece and component that's essential in making sure that your frontline people know how to handle situations. Yeah, for sure. And and I think you're right. I believe it was just last week, uh, the headline was out of Saskatchewan that there was concerns about uh, sourcing for, um, uh, maybe it was just a month, I think, that they had said that we have enough masks to last for. So definitely a bit of a different situation for sure. Yeah, and, and the whole gown thing is a bit of a, another issue that's raised its head. So if you're following, if you're following health and health's recommending that you have a face shield, uh, a mask, goggles, and the gown. Well, the gown's not for operational policing, it's just not practical, but nor is the Tyvek suit. So we, we have we have Tyvek suits that are available here. Some of our frontline officers, when they're going to see a deceased person, have been using the Tyvek suit to ensure. And then you start receiving feedback as the public health nurses are doing callbacks for any type of suspected COVID atmosphere. And they find out that you've been wearing the Tyvek suit and now they're recommending it. So now you find yourself in a situation where you have to potentially have your use of force options that are available to you, but then you're putting on a white all-encompassing Tyvek suit on there and now you're limited to what kind of a capacity you can have as a police officer. So some really difficult, challenging questions to work through as we move forward. Yeah, for sure, well said. Uh, and over in the RCMP, uh, Dennis, tell us what's uh, being used there for PPE. Well, um... Like like the others have said, uh, I feel I could just step right into either Saskatoon or Delta because as my opening comments, like Canadian police, we do this well and we do it uh, very, very similar. Uh, I know Delta Institute of Gold, Silver, Bronze, and we did the same. And, uh, uh, you know, we're at a current posture of more stability. And, and however, the one thing that does keep me up at night is the availability of PPE. Um, the you know we recognize I think all police would agree with me that we recognize that the healthcare system requires that uh, you know as a priority we're trying to manage supply with you know with with um, limited supply and a larger demand um, we're awaiting um, a fairly large shipment that the government of Canada has been able to procure and. Um, as recent as this morning, we had specific PPE discussions across the country. We do have enough supply for the immediate future, looking, you know, a month to two months out. But uh, it is one of the aspects that right now uh, does keep me awake at night. Um, we, the one thing that I do that this has made a good experience for me, if you want to say, in the pandemic planning is our ability and police's ability to be flexible uh, and learn from one another. Uh, we had an incident in one of our buildings here in Ottawa that uh, uh, contamination and we had to uh, decontaminate it, if you will, and uh, we relied on the expertise of Ottawa police and Ottawa fire to do that for us. And uh, so the learnings that come out of that um, the learnings that we've we've experienced, even just today, we sent out messaging with respect to uh, OC spray, the use of OC spray, the use of naloxone, uh, the um, CPR, performing CPR, all those different things that you know uh, we would call as normal police duties. Uh, now we've had to put a different lens on and a health and safety lens to say, okay, can we? use OC spray is the risk too high or is it you know however you know is the assessment of needing that use of force tool 
such that we have to continue to use it, but just be, you know, we have to consider uh, the use of it and the impact on on the, the police officers themselves, let alone the the, uh, the person being sprayed or or uh, using naloxone, those sort of things. So um, those are the things that we're constantly uh, reevaluating and adapting to. Uh, no decision that we made, you know, back in the early March is now, uh, you know, the same. We've modified in some particular fashion. So. Uh, somebody mentioned the communication. I think that is absolutely paramount and re-communicating those uh, decisions as we uh, assess either equipment or um, or uh, PPE per se. So our PPE, exact same as other uh, Canadian police are using. And um, we do, we have some good experience with uh, half mass and P100 filters and stuff that uh, we're looking uh, most of our employees we've just put another order in for about seven thousand of those half masks and that would then um, uh, have every frontline police officer for the rcmp in canada having one so again we don't know when that order is going to be filled so uh, i think we're all in kind of the same sort of boat as far as potential supply of ppe if this is this becomes protracted Exactly. And and that was actually my next question, which you all kind of uh, touched on, was about the challenges with PPE. So clearly um, availability, suitability is, is one of those challenges. Um, moving along, I'd like to touch on the communication part. Uh, you all also mentioned. Uh, I, I'm curious about um, how you've refreshed your officers on the proper use of PPE um, and proper disposal. We're hearing about, uh, you know, everybody's reminding everybody about the proper disposal methods. Um, but if, if maybe everybody could walk us through what's been some of the feedback from uh, the front line on this uh, refreshment in terms of uh, PPE that everybody has to suddenly um, use and, and it's affected uh, everyday policing. Uh, so let's start uh, with uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Plant, uh, Christopher over in York. Thank you, Renee. Uh, some of the messaging challenges we had right away involved member beards. That was a small hurdle we had to overcome uh, relative to fit testing. <laughs> After that, we've used visual aids, we've used posters, videos, video productions made by our, our own multimedia staff to help with the donning and doffing procedures, how to do it safely, and just at the beginning of this week is the first time I'm starting to hear about saving uh, used masks in paper bags, either for some form of disinfectant that we haven't explored yet, but it's a, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a theory that came out of the medical industry that we're currently looking into, is this concept that they might be reusable somehow. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll stay tuned to, to see what uh, follows with that. Uh, I've been reading interesting things about reusing masks too the, and the N95s uh, I'd seen somewhere you know put it in the oven to disinfect it and, and all these strange things so there's a lot out there and then it goes back to um, you know uh, determining what's accurate and whatnot but uh, interesting we'll stay tuned. Um, Edmonton uh, what about uh, the feedback from the front line over in Edmonton? Yeah, we do a lot of messing I mentioned earlier Renee uh, we have our OHS nurses and our, our department kind of really plugged into our pandemic committee along with our corporate comms. So any messaging is kind of vetted through uh, our corporate communications. We have a website on our internal website. It's a continuing website. Sometimes I think, to be very frank with you, sometimes I think we oversaturate our members with information because we're trying to be so accurate and so up to date on information. So 
I, I equate it sometimes to a billboard that you see every day. Are you truly paying attention to it? So we're a little more particular now to ensure that we reinforce some of the, the main items we wanted to ensure our members were aware of. Initially, we're, we're into the phase now that we're reinforcing those key messages that we want to get out there. And a lot of it happens around exactly what I just heard about using videos and posters and, and different types of uh, key messaging to our members about the proper use, when and where and how to uh, put it on, take it off and when to use the PPE because we're experiencing the same type of issues that everyone else is having with regards to N95 masks. They're difficult to find, so are difficult to get. And we have orders in as well, had them in for quite some time and we're slowly getting some of them, but not to the point that this goes on prolonged reading. We have the same concerns as everyone else. So are we going to have enough? Uh, but um, we, like it, as I mentioned earlier, pretty good feedback from the front lines thus far. A lot of questions initially, and they started to slow down. So that means we must be hitting the mark. So we need to continue just to reinforce those key messages. Well said. Uh, what about you, Harj, over in Delta? Um, how are the, 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 the feedback coming from the front line? How is that going? It's good. And one of the comments I had made exactly what I just heard from Ed Merton was that information overload that first two, three weeks, we were sending so much information and feeding them from a fire hose and, and then uh, through all the different channels that everyone's talked about in regards to in person, uh, having our training section quite involved, uh, shift briefings, uh, pamphlets, posters, all those type of things. And now we've kind of slowed it down and really focusing on our NCOs and stuff, hit on one thing at a shift briefing and just remind the members about that. And it seems like we're kind of, as I mean, we're in that maintenance phase now, people know it and they, they feel fairly comfortable with it. And it's that ongoing thing I heard there about how do you balance tactics and personal protection? So we had a recent incident here, uh, not in our agency, but a local agency first on scene had to do CPR on a person. What do you do now? So obviously they were just doing chest compressions um, EHS arrives and they put a cloth on the individual's face so that they wouldn't be exasperating when they were doing the compression. So again, uh, as the assistant commissioner mentioned, all these learnings that we do, we have a weekly call here with our local uh, uh, senior leadership of police agencies. We also have uh, calls with our provincial uh, police services and that's where we share a lot of these, hey, what did you experience? What are you doing? Again, for most of us, this is all uh, the first time we're going through something like this, so we're trying to learn from each other, as well as our frontline members are. In regards to the bag issue, what we've got from uh, our local health authorities is the surgical masks, if we're doing two-person vehicles and that's more of a prevention thing amongst them, then it's okay to put that uh, mask in a bag use it for that shift and then dispose. Obviously, if they come into contact once with someone that may be symptomatic, then you would discard it. So that's how we're using the paper bag to kind of conserve some of our surgical masks. Okay, wonderful. And Dennis, uh, with the RCMP, um, proper use, uh, training of proper use and proper disposal, uh, has that been an issue at all? What's the feedback uh, on your side? I had a chuckle there because um, we had just recently made a decision, I think within the last year, that beards were allowed in the RCMP. And then the next thing we said was, no, not in this particular situation. So there was quite a bit of uh, feedback given to us uh, about the uh, actually wanting to keep their beards and even though they're fit tested and they were fit tested with beards. And But I agree, I'm not sure if it was Edmonton that's about the oversaturation of messaging, um, you know, does become a, a, a key piece. Um, so, uh, you know, the front line, the feedback I'm getting from the front line is simply that, uh, you know, they want the PPE 
I've, I, we had a recent discussion this morning with Alberta, and I, I can't remember exact, but they were talking about um, potentially with prisoners and uh, putting masks on prisoners because of the close proximity in the backseat and what they're going to be doing in that area. And of course, masks are highly um, sought after. And so we, we're constantly adapting. Uh, the one thing I can tell you, though, for sure, is that uh, our employees want the PPE, and uh, it's the number one question asked of us. Um, also, we're a newly unionized environment on our um, on the police officer side, so that has actually been um, a good a good thing in this particular situation for sure, as we're growing that relationship because. Uh, our union people have been very, uh, we've educated them specifically and they've been doing a lot of the uh, selling, if you will, um, also holding us to account as far as, you know, needing more supply and that and what are you doing to get supply and those sort of things. But um, I think it's been, a, this experience has been a good launching pad for relationships with our, with our, uh, with our new union, especially at the national level. So. Yeah. And that's a silver lining right there. I like that. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Patrick, what about in Saskatoon? Um, proper use uh, of PPE, proper disposal, any issues there with your frontline? Well, just to know, but just to accentuate some of the points that everybody else has made here is the, the information component and how important it plays a role. And, and never underestimate or never overestimate the impact of sending something out and assuming that someone's going to pick up one of the messages that you've intended to send. And we discovered that quite early and something simple, it's a quick little story, but I think it accentuates the point here is that from our tactical operations center, we were sending out daily feeds and, and these feeds would be up to 15 different bullet points of, of information that we were wanting to provide to the whole service, not just operational policing, but the whole service in general. And one thing that we found about a week after that is one key component of that, which came to the decontamination and cleaning of police vehicles. And there was a, we had a bit of a, it was a bit of a bargain between our, our staff that was going to be doing the cleaning and officers. There was going to be an expectation there that officers were going to be provided with uh, cleansing wipes and, and pads and those sorts of things. And there were some, there were some objects in the vehicle that we didn't want cleaning staff going in, some sensitive equipment with respect to a mobile workstation. Uh, sometimes some people were a little touchy about touching a mic if, it was, if someone else was touching it and handling it. So, we had a bit of a compromise where certain items inside the front of a patrol car were going to be cleaned by cleaning staff and the other items were going to be the responsibility of officers. One of the things that we did then moving forward a week later when we, we started developing our decontamination protocols is we were identifying decontamination officers on each shift and providing them with walkthrough so that they were, had a very comprehensive understanding of what that process was so that they could be the on-site experts for each shift regardless of when this incident may have occurred that could walk people through that. And in talking with them and developing the decontamination protocols, people were, they were just glazing over the information they thought they were receiving. So they weren't even aware that certain parts of the car were not being cleaned. They were assuming that they were being cleaned when they were stepping in and that caused some contention. So it, it's just never, never overestimate the, the impact of making sure that if you need a specific message out sent out, you have to be very specific in the way that you deliver it so that they understand it. And then the last point I'll make is that, and I guess Dennis, welcome to the unionized policing and unionized environment. But uh, we've been working and that, that's played a very, very key role in Saskatoon in making sure that messages that we need to push out are pushed out not only from administration, but from the, the membership themselves. And they've got a much more robust connection and network of communicating than we could ever hope to accomplish 
only because people feel more comfortable with the association on certain matters than they do with management. So when we had specific messages that we needed to push, and for instance, we had an e-component, an e-training component on decontamination protocols, we relied on the association to push it to their general membership so that we were could be relatively assured that everyone was getting it. So that's helped. Thanks for sharing that story. And, and you're right, uh, partnerships, um, information sharing, uh, definitely key in these times for sure. So thanks for that. Yeah. All right, um, going forward, uh, for example, just the next few weeks, um, does anyone foresee any changes to PPE? And I won't go around the table for this one. Um, maybe I'll just throw it out there. And if anyone wants to jump in, uh, I'm curious to see if anyone foresees any uh, changes that might be coming up uh, sooner rather than later. I don't necessarily foresee a, a, in the the personal protection equipment that our officers will wear. I don't really see, a, you know, um, but I think as we examine different activities and different scenarios that come at us, uh, that is my earlier comment about that flexibility. And then, you know, anything from, you know, we've sent out guidance with respect to a roadside screening device and, uh, you know, data masters and just looking at every particular, uh, now that we're out of that first month or so of craziness and answering every question you can think of, to get us to it now we can almost take a breath and re-examine some of the minute activities that um, our general duty officers do and then provide guidance on every little piece and uh, you know it's it's it then evolves into a different discussion and uh, and we get further guidance and uh, we push that message out so i yeah i don't see I don't see a change in necessarily equipment for us to wear personally, but more just how we then use it and operate, uh, much like the gown situation, Patrick, you were talking about, and still trying to get to our use of forced equipment and that sort of thing. So, There might be some public expectations. You're seeing the trend in the U.S. where they're encouraging everyone to wear masks now. So uh, is that, you know, I know our Canadian public health officers and our provincial ones haven't come out and endorsed it, but they said it wouldn't be a bad thing to do. So could there be a public expectation that if this is prolonged potentially for 12, 18 months until a vaccine is developed, our officer is going to be required uh, from a public perspective, if they're going to have interaction to be wearing just basic surgical masks, because that's going to become that social norm like we see in some other countries. So that could potentially face some challenges around PP in the future. Wonderful. Things to keep in mind for sure. Wonderful. Thanks, everybody. Okay, well, we're, we're down to our final question. So I would just like to leave it. Uh, I'm going to go around the table once more. Uh, if you could just give me a brief um, overview of maybe what is the biggest change that you've noticed at your service uh, since the COVID-19 uh, outbreak. Um, so let's throw it back. Uh, we'll start with where we started for question number one. Uh, Dennis, take us away. Uh, the biggest change? Um... I, I would like to think, especially from our national headquarters perspective, I think it's the speed and the um, all hands on deck. Uh, we instituted the uh, gold, silver, bronze structure, uh, which was foreign to a lot of people that are non-police officers in our national headquarters, either from our corporate procurement side to our legal services to, uh, to our occupational health and safety. Um, but the speed and the... Um, the attention uh, and the willingness to participate was absolutely phenomenal. And I keep saying that uh, 
you know, I, not that I was contemplating retirement, but this is really seeing everybody and their willingness to step up has really re-energized me. So I would say the one thing that, you know, has been the speed and the ability to get the messages out. Um, and now we're at a more of a steady state and we're looking more into our divisions and seeing exactly what they need of us and trying to facilitate those different things. So um, all in all, I would I would consider, you know, um, you know, the the experience in planning and uh, executing plans um, has gone very, very well. Um, I would look to institute a similar structure that we did um, uh, for other type areas. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is we just came out of national protests uh, uh, related to uh, enforcement activity in northern BC uh, on the railways and uh, for us personally and how we manage that uh, us personally here in headquarters. Uh, I think we'd institute a very limited type structure that we've currently Im implemented. Um, because we did we did see a lot of different gaps in in what was um, what was available to us on the protest side as far as information and and regular intelligence and that sort of thing. So um, I think a lot of learnings have have happened out of this experience. But most most impressed with the speed and uh, of getting the information out there. Beautiful. Uh, what about uh, you, Trevor, over in Edmonton? Biggest change uh, for Edmonton Police Service right now. Well, I would suggest to us it's that uh, whole technology and the work from home uh, process that we're doing. All right, as I mentioned earlier, our IT department really stepped up, and and this teleconference that we're doing a lot more teleconferencing. And for a, a technology challenged person like myself, learning that whole process obviously it didn't work very well because I'm on the phone and not on the web camera right now. But didn't didn't I mean I'm not as technically savvy as I think I'm becoming. But with the technology and all the teleconference that we're doing, and it for People that have been policing for a long time, the work from home is, is a totally new thing. Obviously, in our area of frontline services, you can't. But in certain areas that you can, when, when we're able to, we're doing that. Um, for us, that's been a huge change. And, you know, it's actually working pretty, pretty darn well. And not only to help flatten the curve, but I think when we see, hopefully, we come out of this on the winning end, for sure, um, we're going to have a new way to do business in certain areas around our service. So, for me, that's probably the key two things, for sure. Awesome. Well said. And Christopher, in York, biggest change you've noticed? Thanks, Renee. Uh, the concept we created here, uh, pretty much in the first week this, this kicked off, was a call diversion unit, something we've never done before in the uh, 20 years that I've been here, where some of the priority four and three calls, the ones that are not emergent or life-threatening, are now being diverted to call takers uh, who are actually taking the reports remotely over the phone. That and the fact that uh, all requalification that's mandated by the province has officially been suspended until further notice. Uh, they used to be pretty strict about how and when we do annual requal, but the province was nice enough to loosen the strings for that uh, to allow us at York Regional Police to maintain physical distancing. Yeah, that's a big change. You're right. There we go. Uh, Harj over in Delta, biggest change for you guys. 
I think operationally, we're a very uh, community-based policing organization. So we've had to close our community police stations down. Obviously, all events and social gatherings have uh, closed. So that ability for that direct, we have presence and visibility, but it's from a distance now. So having that interconnectivity with our community, we found from our operational lens has really been impacted. And then kind of what Edmonton touched on is we, we looked having discussions about from crisis comes opportunity. So moving forward, what can we actually, rather than saying how this was a problem, what did we learn from this, from stuff like video conferencing, working from home, uh, the call triaging, we've done some more online reporting, things that we kind of thought, okay, maybe we should or we shouldn't. This has given us an opportunity to try those. And a lot of those apprehensions previously were from how would our community take that because they have a certain level of service delivery. but. It seems like the longer this goes on, that's going to be maybe something they ex uh, they accept, and that allow us to create some of the way we do uh, business moving forward to be effective and efficient. So I think those are some of the changes that uh, we've noticed here. Thanks for sharing. And last but not least, uh, final word over with you, Patrick in Saskatoon. Biggest change. It's funny when we were looking at these questions. Uh, actually, we we sat at the TOC and, and chief included and and asked that same question because. It doesn't surprise me that when you look at challenges internally for law enforcement in Canada, we're all very well at adapting. And I think it's been paramount today and, and we've all had very good examples of how we've been able to kind of circumvent crisis to make sure that we continue to provide service to the citizens of this country. And, you know, I, I'm after hearing everyone talk today, everyone is in the same boat. Everyone's applying the same types of strategies and everyone's doing a heck of a job doing it. So when we were trying to ask this question, and really, when you look at what challenges are, and what the most pressing challenges are for us, it wasn't an internal, it wasn't really an internal thing that we had identified because we just do such a good job at, at risk management. The thing that we've really found challenging is dealing with outside agencies and, and their struggles to try and cope with, with this environment. And whether it be corrections that are no longer taking prisoners, whether it be the court systems that no longer want to have prisoners brought to, to court, um, that we found challenging because as they try to adapt, they don't have the same ability to adapt like law enforcement can. And they run into much more you know, more hurdles in trying to get the day the job done at the end of the day than we seem to be able to do. So that's been our biggest challenge is just working with our partner agencies. I love that. From crisis comes opportunity. Love it. Well, thank you to everybody. I'm grateful for the technology that we were able to connect today and uh, see that we're all in the same boat. Uh, I feel that solidarity. And uh, I just want to thank you for your time, uh, for coming and joining me on this virtual roundtable uh, on PPE and police officers in uh, very unprecedented times. So thank you to everybody for sharing your updates, your expertise, and just your stories. I, I appreciate it. Be well, stay safe, and we will be in touch. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. Stay healthy. Bye. Bye, guys. Stay healthy. This episode is brought to you by Hudson Supplies. Hudson Supplies is a manufacturer and distributor of PPE for first responders, currently offering face masks for minimum protection and a disinfectant suited to COVID-19. We will win the fight against COVID-19. Visit www.hudsontactical.com for more. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast, pulled from our first virtual roundtable on April 16th. Make sure to check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us under Annex Business Media, podcasts for work. Also, check out our podcast tab on blueline.ca. Thank you to everyone listening, especially those out on the front lines protecting our communities. Stay safe, stay well, and stay positive.
Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. 